voice had never been other than soft when they'd looked at me. But I knew enough about her to understand that they could become as cold as sapphires when necessary. Just as I also knew that they had looked upon sights as terrifying as anything ever dreamed up by a Hollywood monster movie magnate. But more important, they also masked one of the most remarkable brains in history, not merely because she had an IQ of 173, but because of the almost unearthly speed of thought, reaction, and decision that had made her the most deadly assassin of her time, and enabled her to survive a hundred close brushes with her own death. They were eyes which, far more than her body or her hair or her face, had lured many a man and woman to disaster. Sadly, I sometimes reflected, I had never known those eyes save in this twilight of her life, when she was utterly relaxed, willing and even anxious to talk about her past, before it was too late. The only visible evidence of what had once been was her exquisite jewellery, the tiny gold bars of her earrings, the gold crucifix round her neck, the huge ruby solitaire on the forefinger of her left hand, all so feminine, and so contrasting with the man's gold Rolex on her wrist. She wore this jewellery, as I knew, less because she wished for decoration, than as a symbol of what she considered her greatest triumph. Save for the watch, it had been given to her by her Nazi masters to enhance the image they wished her to project, that of the wealthy socialite. Obviously they had intended to reclaim it at some time. But they were all gone, and she was still here, with the jewellery. She found that immensely satisfying. I had tracked this woman for some forty years, when I could spare the time, ever since I'd first come across the occasional mention of her in the various memoirs I had studied while writing about the Second World War. I had been fascinated both by the legend of her beauty, by her ruthlessness, and by her sudden disappearance when still at the height of her powers— as much as by the many famous and infamous characters she had known intimately, both during World War II and during the chaotic years that had followed. Most historians of the period assumed that she had died. Some refused to believe that she had ever lived. But I'd been unable to accept that so vibrant a personality could either be a myth or have wound up in an unnamed grave. And as I had searched... I'd come across tantalising snippets of information that had led me ever onwards, until I'd been told of a lonely old woman who apparently lived with her memories and a single servant, a woman who moved with incredible grace, was clearly enormously wealthy, who had been born, I was able to discover, on the 21st of May 1920, and who spoke several languages, but when she used English, had an Irish accent. All of those straws in the wind fitted with what I had already gleaned. So I had taken my life in my hands, quite literally if her record was at all accurate, called at this villa on the hillside, and embarked on the mental voyage of a lifetime. The woman herself. If it is possible for a man to fall in love with his own grandmother, I had done so. More importantly, I came upon her at a definitive moment, when she had understood that she was coming to the end of her life, and after so many years of the utmost secrecy, 
With a memory of who she was and what she had done no more than a whispered legend, she wanted to leave her memorial to the world. And here was a journalist, arriving on her doorstep, obviously, as she quickly established, totally innocent of any connection with her past, but eager to learn. Thus, she had welcomed me, and by the time of this fourth meeting we were the closest of friends. So I ventured, do you regret your childhood? I mean, the things you didn't have, like a garden. That would have happened anyway, Anna pointed out, beginning to walk back towards the house. My parents lived in a townhouse in the centre of Vienna, and they were both working journalists, like you. They had no time for gardens. But I had a very pleasant girlhood, until March 1938. I was the nun's favourite, because I was bright, hard-working, well-behaved. Do you know, at the age of 17, I was the youngest head girl.